0: but we are so excited to be here, and we, we drove across campus today, and Amanda was showing the kids uh, where we used to live. I was walking to, to lunch today, and I was like, I, I felt like an old grandpa because I was saying, back in my day, there was a dorm right here, and it was called King Hall. Remember? Remember King Hall? is an all-guys dorm, and it constantly smelled like B.O. It just always did. That's why they tore it down. That was the only reason. But you know, what's funny is I, I remember actually going to a church camp, and I met a guy, and I found out he was from Huntsville, and he was somewhat a part of, of Chi Alpha, and he told me, he's like, I said, hey, I'm actually moving to Huntsville. I'm going to Sam Houston State University in the fall, and he's like, oh, that's great. He's like, you should live in King Hall, and I was like, why King Hall? He's like, there's a bunch of guys gonna live there. He didn't tell me it smelled like BO, but he told me these guys were gonna live there, and I didn't know this at the time, but there was this initiative for the guy's the guy small group leaders to move back onto campus into the dorms. And, and the thought with this was not just to save money, but they said, we want to reach our campus for Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to be where lost people are. So why don't we move back into the dorms? We're going to, we're going to get rid of our, our nice apartments. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to move back into the dorms. We're going to get meal plans, and we're going to be a part of campus. And when I came my freshman year, I didn't actually live there freshman year. I lived there in sophomore year. But I got to meet all these guys, and I spent 90% of my time in King Hall playing Halo, playing Xbox, learning to love Jesus through fellowship together. Not only that, but that fall semester, I remember we were in the church. You're going to get to experience that. Um, and, and we were in the church, and it was just like this atmosphere. You could just feel something was going on. And not only were people being strategic with moving on to campus, but they were strategic in prayer. And I remember, I, I grew up in church, but I'd never heard of this. People would go to church, we'd go to Chi Alpha, we'd go to Waterburger afterwards, because that's what you have to do. And, and, and after Waterburger, people would go back to their dorms or, or to their apartments, not to hang out and play Xbox, but to pray. How crazy was that? And I was like, what do you mean to pray? We just had, we just had Chi Alpha. Why do you want to go back and pray more? And their hearts were so... Sam, you remember Sam Eisenhower leading this group and saying, we're going to pray and we're going to see Jesus show up in our dorm, in our apartments. And that that spring semester rolled around and we started off the semester with a guy's prayer meeting. And I remember so vividly a prayer meeting that there was a legitimate... This might scare some of you, but there was a demon cast out of a person that night. Like a demon guy that we knew that was he was around us was you know we knew him he like manifested himself and just went berserk and we knew instantly like if you've never been a part of it isn't like you you're like maybe no you know you know when something's like this is happening I was scared I was like in the back of the room like Lord Jesus help us what is happening but they prayed for this guy and he got delivered of the demon that night it was crazy And, and that spring semester was, sounds like what's kind of happening now. There was just, it was so normal to walk out of your class at 12 or at 2 or whatever time. And there would be worship near, in the mall area. And there was people just getting baptized in the fountain. And it was like, what is going on here? And that's my freshman year. I thought, this is the norm. But what I found out is that people were hungry for Jesus. It wasn't it. Jason and Eli, they weren't saying you need to meet in the dorms. You need to. It was students taking the initiative. And what happened is when we asked Jesus, when these students were so hungry for Jesus and we said, Lord Jesus, would you show up or or, or else, Lord, we will never reach our campus. God, he showed up and he did the impossible and people were standing up. I was like, man, I, I feel like I should be embarrassed for these people because they were just openly confessing sins and they're like last night I did this and I'm like I don't are you allowed to say that like that's illegal can you say that on campus and Jesus was doing something in people's hearts and I think the the, the trouble and the, the wrong thing that can happen is we we can spend all of our time looking back at what God used to do and not look at what God is doing or wants to do. And so we've got to be in that constant place of dying to self, of living alive in Jesus, which introduces me to the scripture we're going to look at tonight. Uh, we're looking at Mark eight thirty five, just one scripture tonight. Mark eight thirty five. I have it here on the screen. If you don't have it, it says this: For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we need you. Lord, do something in our heart that we could never create within ourselves, God. Take the callousness and just move it away, God. Get rid of it, God, and allow your seed to be planted, Lord, in our heart that it could take root and grow. Jesus, to transform us, to transform our heart, transform our mind, and our spirit tonight, Jesus, we need you. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Jesus is speaking here, Mark eight thirty-five. There's a whole story that's read that comes uh, before this. You can look at it in, in Matthew chapter twelve. It's a great story. Jesus is actually speaking to the Greeks here. It's very important. My, I'm a missionary in Greece. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But Greeks come, and they want to see Jesus. They come to a disciple named Philip, and Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. And Jesus' word for them is, unless a grain of a kernel falls to the ground and dies, it it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And then he gives the the way that you can do this. In order to die, you have to lose your life for me and for the gospel. It's a biblical call that Jesus is asking us to do. And he's asking us this question Are you willing to lose yourself for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to lose yourself for the sake of the gospel? The first thing that we need to do, if you're a note taker, I have three points. It's how you have to preach. I'm just kidding. The first thing you have to lose tonight is we must lose our assumptions. Have you ever made an assumption about somebody and found out that it wasn't true? Or has someone ever made an assumption about you and found out that it wasn't true? Uh, My aunt told me a story. She said one time she was shopping in a store and she was just going about her day and she was looking at some items and a lady came up to her and was very nice and said, Hey, ma'am, excuse me. And she's like, Yes. She said, These pants, do you think they make them in a smaller size? And she's like, I would guess so. That sounds legitimate. She said, okay, awesome. Um, do you know where the fitting rooms are? And she said, yeah, I think they're over there the, on the other side. She's like, okay, perfect. Thank you. Immediately after that, another guy walks up and says, ma'am, I was over uh, two aisles over and you all are out of this product. I was wondering if you could check back and see if in the back and see if you have it. All of a sudden she realized something was going on. She didn't know what was going on, but at first she thought a lady was nice. But now there's this man asking her questions. She doesn't know what's going on, so she looks down. She's wearing a red polo shirt that's tucked into khaki pants, and she's standing in the middle of Target. (laughs) These poor people assumed that my aunt was an employee and were asking her questions about stock. It was not true. Assumptions, although not inherently evil, can create within us presuppositions. Or thoughts that lead us to think in a certain direction. They're not bad things. They just lead us in a thought thought direction that can take us somewhere. Likewise, assumptions can also lead us not to think towards a certain area. So it can lead us to think about something. It can also lead us to not think about something. Plainly, assumptions affect the way that we think. And if our assumption isn't right, then our thoughts towards that person or thing are not right either. And there's many assumptions that we can make about missions. There's many assumptions that can be made, especially about where I minister in Europe. And one thing you can assume is that because Christianity has been around for so long that it's not actually really a mission field. After all, there's churches on every single corner. There's beautiful churches everywhere. The gospel has been presented in the past. And it's already Christian. It doesn't really need missionaries and Greece, the, the country that I minister in, is a part of the European Union, so likewise, thinking might apply here. However, I want to show you just a couple of stats. I promised someone I would read a bunch of stats, and, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you just a couple. <laughs> Greece was actually the first European country to be evangelized. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 had a vision, a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, Please come and help. So the Apostle Paul set off for Macedonia. Paul ended up there, and and he was with a guy named Silas. Paul and Silas got arrested. They were actually in northern Greece, where the area was called Macedonia, not to be confused with the country of Macedonia. Don't ask Greeks about that. They don't like that. (laughs) And there's a great story about the Apostle Paul and Silas and their willingness to do whatever it takes for the gospel. So much so that they got arrested and thrown into prison to be flogged, to be potentially killed. And what did they do? They found themselves singing hymns in the middle of the prison. And because of their willingness to do whatever it takes to not let their circumstances affect their outcome or the way that they saw Jesus, the prison doors were shaken. They were released from prison and they got away and actually led the jailer to Jesus. And his whole family was saved. But looking at Greece today, you realize that less than 3% of the population regularly attend church now. And that evangelical Christians are those that will share their faith and represent less than 5.5% of the population. And evangelism and discipleship, we know it works everywhere, but it's definitely needed in Greece today. Um, I found this to be true on a short term trip to Greece. I won't tell you my whole story, but if you've been around the last couple of days, I've shared this a couple of times. I was a student. I became a small group leader because of a small group leader that cared more about my devotional life than I did. And he challenged me to become a small group leader, so I did. Um, Our first year of small group leading, we had this, um, it wasn't really a goal. It was a mandate that you had to either write a paper on missions, which I didn't want to write any more papers, or you had to go on a short-term trip. I didn't want to write a paper, so I went on a short-term trip. I was like, I'd rather raise $1,000 than have to write a three-page paper. You understand what I'm saying. (laughs) And went on a short-term trip, and the Lord just really began to open up my eyes and my heart to the world that was around, around me. And I began to see that God was not just the God of Huntsville, Texas not just the God of Texas, not just the God of the U.S., but was the God of all nations, and that his desire was that every single person would have access to him and to be able to know him. And after that trip, I just remember thinking, God, I want to be doing what you're what you're about. I want to be about your business. And, and so I came back to Huntsville and I was just a small group leader and, and I just did what was right in front of me. I was taking small steps of obedience and praying all the time, Lord Jesus, would you send me a sign? And the Lord sent me a sign. Her name was Amanda Gilly. <laughs> As part of the sign. And she, along with some other students, had this burden for Greece. And because I was interested in Amanda, I thought, you know what, I should be a part of this as well. <laughs> I don't usually tell that in churches, but I can tell you guys, you know what I mean. <laughs> and so we end up going on a short-term trip to Greece, and we go to Greece, and we took university, you know, it was a Chi Alpha trip, and so went on university, and we invited them to a party at the end of the week we were hosting. We wanted to teach them about the greatest country in the world, which is Texas. And so we had this Texas night, we uh, demystified a bunch of the rumors of Texas, like, do you guys wear uh, cowboy hats and boots everywhere you go? We're like, absolutely. Do you ride horses to class? Absolutely. (laughs) Is it still like the Westerns, everyone has guns? It's like, well, that actually is pretty true, so... But we had such a great time. We, had, we actually hung out with these students all week. And the last night was the Texas night. And then late at night, as what happens with KAI Alpha parties, the room, like the Red Sea, separated. And guys were on one side and girls were on the other. And, and it was legitimately like 1 or 2 a.m. And so conversations are getting deep. And just feelings are starting to come out. And uh, And one of the students there... He, he began to say, I, I've been wanting to ask you this question all week, and I, I just feel like now's the time, and this is our last night there. And we're like, man, this is the moment. God has been doing something in this guy's life. He's going to ask, and we're like, we're ready for it. His name was Michalis. His, he's like, call me Mike. So we're like, all right, Mike. It's way easier. Uh, what, what's your question? And he's like, this is my question. We're like ready for it. He's like, uh, girls in America, do they care if you have multiple sexual partners, or is it like a one one and done thing? It's like, oh my goodness. Like last night there, last night, you're waiting for Jesus to open like the curtains of heaven. And, and that's the question. And, and there's a great friend of ours. His name's Will Lester. Will Lester, without skipping a beat, was like, Mike, you're talking about feelings. But you know those feelings, they come from somewhere. They come from choices that we make. And he said, you know, the choices that we're making as, you know, we've been talking to you about this all week. We're making choices for Jesus, and we believe he lived a life of purity and asks us, invites us really to live that same life. So we can't really answer your question because we don't have that experience, but we, we know that Jesus created us for a purpose and literally presents the gospel. And at the end of that, Will's speaking Mike begins to speak with his friends, and and they're speaking Greek, so we're just like, what are they saying? And and Mike turns around, and we're like, dude, what are you guys saying? And Mike's face looks different. He's like, it's like, something's changed, and he's like, man, you guys, you've wrecked us. You've ruined the way that we think now. We're like, what do you mean? He said, well, we hear what you're saying, and we know it's true, because we feel it in our hearts when you speak, and and the things you're saying about God, it feels so right. But here's the thing. We've never met anybody that lives this way. And Greece, we saw these churches, and we're thinking this whole time, like, Greece is, may it may be Christian. The Apostle Paul was here. I mean, the, you know, there's just all these places that were started by the Apostle Paul. And then we have a student and all of his friends that said, we've never seen anybody that lives this way. It seems so foreign to us. And he said, we have a problem with you guys because you're going to leave And we believe we should live this way. What if you came back here and you showed us how to live? And that's what sparked the call for us to go back to Greece. But we had to begin to lose ourselves in Jesus in order to be able to minister to people like Mike. Because it wasn't just a one conversation, but a life together that even started that conversation. And it's a biblical call to follow Jesus. And according to the Bible, Jesus calls us to self-denial. And, and what happens is Satan he tries to distort our view of self-denial in a few ways. The first distortion and it leads the first distortion that Satan puts on us leads us to self-hatred. He wants us to believe that we're worthless. And this leads us to legalism where we're harsh on others and we're even harder on ourselves. And the second distortion is not taking self-denial seriously. We, we just don't think it really matters. Who cares how I live my life? I can have Jesus in this and I can do whatever I want to do at the same. We delude or ignore the call of Jesus to deny ourselves. And after all, our culture rewards self-advancement and self-focus. We become obsessed with self and try to work out our self-fulfillment and self-actualization and self-esteem. And the world's desire is for self-discovery, where my beliefs and my rights are actually tied into my identity. People will say that my identity gives me meaning and purpose, and I have a right to myself. We distort the voice of God and instead listen solely to our consciences that's based on me. St. John Henry Newman in the mid-1800s said it this way, that conscience is a stern monitor. But in this century, it has been superseded by a counterfeit. That is the right of self-will. He went on to say it this way, that conscience has rights because a conscience has duties. We hear a lot about rights, but practically nothing about duties anymore. We hear about privileges, but all privileges require duties. They require things that you have to do. And what a privilege it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Amen. Right, but this privilege actually requires duties of us, and one of those includes dying to our rights. If we're willing, however, to lose ourselves, including our own rights and thoughts about ourselves, and our thoughts, although crucial to our lives, are made new in Christ. Josh was talking about it tonight. If we're, any man is in new in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what happens. It's not just you get a better life. You take the dead life that you had before and it's made alive in Christ. Your feelings, emotions, and your identity are all ultimately to be submitted to God. And he makes them usable. The way that you feel matters, but your feelings must be submitted to the design and purpose of your creator. As believers who have abandoned all to follow Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is the foundation of all that we do. It's the power of God bringing salvation to all who believe. This must remain our focus. With the Bible as our driving force, we're called to make disciples of all nations. And we take this apostolic calling seriously. A friend of ours, Daniel, has said it this way, that if there are no absolutes by which we judge society, then society becomes the absolute. Meaning if the Bible isn't the absolute by which we live our lives, our lives will be dictated by the ever-changing culture that is around us. You've seen that. If there is no absolute by which we judge society, society always becomes the absolute. It is constantly changing, constantly evolving, and you either have to keep up or you're a bigot, you're, you're not modern, you're, you're lost with the times. But if Jesus sets the standard for us, then we're always relevant. In order for us to lose ourselves, we must stop connecting our identity to how we disciple and how we minister and cling to our identity in Christ. In order to fully lose ourselves to God, we must also be willing to lose our expectations. Point number two. It'll be a lot faster than point number one. We must lose our expectations expectations like assumptions aren't evil they're not evil they help guide us towards what could be they give a parameter by which we can measure many times our expectations are good and they're even healthy things we have we all have expectations but often you don't realize your expectations until they're unmet and unmet expectations can be a thief of progress We have ways and things that we thought should have been accomplished, but when they're not accomplished, we realize, I didn't want that to happen that way. Or I thought this was going to happen differently. And what happens is all of a sudden the expectation that we didn't know becomes vocalized, and when that expectation's not met, it can actually steal away our joy. So we have to have real expectations, realistic expectations. Our expectations can take the place of our dependency on God and hearing His voice. One expectation we must die to is that the gospel presentation is synonymous with instantaneous salvation. We expect people to get it once they've had the presentation of the gospel. But the reality is is that no change occurs because of deep-rooted secularism. And a good definition of, sec- of secularism is a, 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 oh <laughs> Going into tongues there. <laughs> Hallelujah. (laughs) Secularism can be defined as a society, or worldview in which God is not at the center of human life. A definition that should be familiar to you is that God is not the integration point. That's secularism. This means practically that God is no longer the center of the universe, but the human self is the authority. The primary point of orientation is the self, leading to the prime purpose of secular peoples, which is to create a good will. To lead people out of secularism, we must first rid secularism in ourselves. Instead of looking in the mirror and seeing ourselves as someone that gave to missions and prayed for missionaries and and went on short-term mission trips or even became a missionary and thinking I've done all of I can, we have to follow the biblical call of Jesus, which is to lose ourselves completely. Not partially, not three-quarters, but entirely in Him. We need to come to grips with our own self-centeredness. We need to get rid of our missional fantasies, thinking we can do missions in a way that uses all of our gifts all of the time, or that simply being present in another country is enough to win the lost. We may even need to leave our safe, successful, and preferred Christian communities for something that's very difficult from which we know. Losing ourselves means sacrifice in our vision of what the church can and should look like and submitting to the way that Jesus wants to build His church. When we look beyond ourselves and focus on Jesus, we see there's so much more available than we ever had to offer. God can do exceedingly And abundantly more than we could even ask or think. Jesus said when we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, that all of these things will be added to us. But first we have to seek Him. There's no shortcut to intimacy with Jesus. It only comes with long sessions with Him. And putting aside time, it means going to bed earlier, not 3 a.m. Speaking to myself. And setting our alarms and waking up an hour or so before our class and saying, Jesus, this next hour is yours. I don't care about anything else. I just want to meet with you, God. I'm not here to get another theological lesson. I'm not here for a deep point. I just want to spend time with you. He also told us, Jesus told us this, that if we seek him, We will find Him. When we answer His call, we find incredible fruitfulness and abundance like we have never seen before. But first, we must be fully engaged with what God has called us to do. We can't skip steps of obedience. we got to do what God has asked us to do right in front of us. You don't magically become a missionary when you jump on a plane. I'm sorry. If you can't be missional here in Huntsville, Texas, you're never going to be missional in, in the middle of Oman. You're never going to be missional in the middle of Cairo. You're never going to be missional in the middle of secular Europe. You're never going to be missional in the middle of Laos. You're never going to be missionary missional in the middle of Africa, South America. There's a lot more places, but you get the point. It doesn't start when you go somewhere new. It's got to start right here. It's got to start tonight. It's got to start in your hearts today. The extent to which we are willing to lose ourselves in Jesus is the extent of the fruitfulness that we will see. It's countercultural, it's bold, it's radical, but when we stand confident in the gospel, we don't have to worry about our reputation. I remember years ago Jason told me that. He said, "If you're living for Jesus, I was making stupid decisions, by the way, okay? <laughs> but I remember Jason pulling me aside. I think we were in the Kylepha house and he said, "Hey look, here's the deal." Whatever you've done, it's in the past. Here's the thing. If you're living for Jesus now, don't worry about your reputation anymore. Let your reputation in Christ be the thing that matters. Let Jesus stand, let His name be lifted up. When we lose ourselves in Jesus, we gain everything, everything. When we were in Greece, uh, we got there in 2017 and uh, we had a heart for university students go figure. We would spent about 15 years of our lives working with Kai Alpha, and uh, we started with university or with Kai Alpha teams, and we were reaching the university campus or trying to. Um, we weren't really keeping any people though, because it was just us there. And what would happen is we'd meet 20 people, and then we lose 20 people. <laughs> Couldn't keep them around. There just wasn't enough of us, and we kept doing this over and over. And, and, and we were thought, okay, we're just going to figure out the cycle, and and this was all in like a spring semester. We had like three or four teams. And so we just said, Jesus, okay, help us, help us to do this. And we were attending an international church. It was an English speaking church. Um, in Greece, everyone speaks Greek. Some people know English, but Greek is the common language. And so, um, we were in this church and we were helping. And I remember, uh, the pastor called us over one, one summer. Uh, we'd been there about eight months and they said, Hey, God's put something on our heart. And, uh, We knew that that meant some changes were coming, and they said, we feel like God's actually asking us to leave Greece. And uh, they'd been there for seven years, and they were the only other couple, or the only other missionaries in Athens. Um, And so there was a city of four million people, and there was two of us. And we'd only been there eight months, and now they were leaving. And we were very heartbroken by this, because we looked at them as mentors, as friends, and they were leaving. So we were attending this church, and they had a couple of interim pastors lined up, and It was okay, but at some point, some of the people in our church said, are we going to have another pastor this week? Is there going to be another change? And we felt this shiftiness going on in church where there was just these changes constantly happen. So in our hearts, we knew that that couldn't happen for long. So we told our area directors, our bosses, we said, hey, instead of sending another pastor for three three weeks or four weeks, what if we just stepped up and we filled in until you find someone permanently? And they said, if you're willing to do it, we're going to be looking hard. We said, okay, we thought it was going to be a couple months. Um, Three and a half years later, they never found anybody. (laughs) Um, And during that time, we were alone. Um, No one ever came to work with us. And then uh, in 2020, uh, a miracle happened. God sent another young couple to work in Athens. It was great. They were working with refugees. There's a huge refugee crisis going on in Greece still to this day. And so they were predominantly in refugee camps. So we ever we never actually saw them. We only saw them once every month or so. And so um, they were just busy, always gone all the time. And during uh, lockdown or during COVID, Greece went into a lockdown. And uh, there was about six reasons we could leave our house. And anytime you left, you had to have a mask on or you got fined 350 bucks. Um, and I had to send a text message to a government number to leave my house. It's the ultimate big brother situation. And so I... Uh, sin number six which is exercise and I told my friend Matt I said sin number six you and I are going to go for a walk and so we're going to go exercise so we went out walking and I said hey man just what's going on just wanted to get out and chat and he said man this is weird but God's been putting the international church in my heart and they weren't even attending the church I was like man it's crazy he said would you mind if we start attending I was like uh well we're online right now so I don't care if you attend but yeah when we get back in person absolutely he's like yeah so this is around March and, um, of this year. And so he's like, man, okay. He said, I know you're going to be gone in, in June. He's like, this is kind of weird, but God's actually put it on my heart to like maybe step up and take the role of pastor while you're gone. I said, that's great. I'd love for you to do that. That's great. Yeah. He's like, do you care? And I said, no, absolutely do it. And he said, okay, this next question is going to be 100% awkward because I feel like God's asking me to take the church full time, and I don't know what you feel about that. And I said, I don't know how to say this, but here are the keys. You can have it. (laughs) And in that moment, we just remembered back like Mike's story of saying there's these Greek people that have churches everywhere and only 3% are attending. And all of these people have just no proper lives of people living in relationship with Jesus. There's this form of religion but there's no power in it. There's no relationship with God. And it's like an empty shell. You can There's just nothing in the middle. And if you just crash it and there, crack it down, there's just going to be empty on the inside. And we felt this, and there just was a burden in our heart. The whole time we were passing the international church, we kept having a heart for Greek people. And I remember it wasn't even a week after my friend Matt told us this, that we just began to pray in the we remember this small little national Greek church. It's the Assemblies of God Greek Church that was started in 1960. And it's about seven people. Um, five of those are one family, and that family is the pastor. <laughs> so it's him and his wife, his daughter, his son-in-law, and their kid. <laughs> and that's, that's five of the seven people of the church. The two others are two old ladies. And so we just knew that this church was full of a lot of problems. There was just so many things that were wrong with it. There was just so many issues going on with this church. And we're like, Lord Jesus, it's going to take a miracle. But in that moment of just asking God, how can we get back to what you've called us to do? God just instantly dropped that church in our heart. So we said, let's meet up with the pastors. Let's just share our heart with them and see. So we met up with the pastors. We had dinner with them. And at the end of the night, we said, you know, God has really placed grease on our heart, not just a pastor an international church. But God has placed Greeks like you on our heart. And we feel like we want more than half a percent of people to know that there's a relationship to be had with God. That you can share your faith. That you can go outside of these four walls and you can share about the goodness of God. And we just said, we don't know what it looks like, but we'd love to partner with you guys if you'd have it. And the pastors just began to weep. And their daughter was translating for us and she just began to weep. And we're like, what's going on? And the pastor began to speak, and he said, for 25 years, I've been praying for help. I've been pastoring this church for 25 years, and I've been asking for help. He actually said, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsting for help. And he said, and here you are in my living room, and you're telling me that you feel like God's sent you here to work with me. And in that moment, we knew the Spirit was doing something even bigger than us. And we knew that God was uniting our spirits together. And I shared this at a section of fellowship. G.K. Chesterton, in his book, Orthodoxy, talks about the city of Pimlico. And he says it's this terrible city, and in order for Pimlico to become a city that you would actually care about, you can't just think better thoughts about it. And he says you can't actually just think bad thoughts about it either because then you'll just ignore it. He said in order for a city like Pimlico to become lovable, you have to begin to love it. You have to begin to love the unlovable. And when I was thinking about the church and thinking about that particular thought with G.K. Chesterton, I remembered, or I thought about this, that oftentimes it's not just that something's unlovable, but that it's become unlovable. And I think what happens so often in our lives is we focus on the reasons why something became unlovable and we can't ever look at the reasons why it can become lovable again. And then we feel like that's what's been happening with this church is that so many years people have been saying, this is the problem and this is what's wrong with it. Right things. They're not wrong things, they're right things. But we believe that Jesus wants to make this church lovable again because they're Greeks and they love their people and they want their people to be saved. And we're just saying, Look, Jesus, if you're willing, help us to unite spirits together and reach lost people for him. Amanda, if you want to come. Y'all okay? Amanda's, Amanda's going to share with you just for a second.
1: I'm not long-winded like him. Just kidding, I love you. Uh, shameless plug: We're selling these shirts after service for eleven dollars if you want one. Okay. All right. So Kenan's been talking about losing yourself based on Mark 8:35. We need to lose our assumptions, lose our expectations, and finally lose yourself in the adventure. How many of you know that following Jesus is an adventure? Right? It's not always easy and not always fun, but adventures aren't always easy and fun, right? It's an adventure. It can be hard sometimes. He didn't promise that our journeys would be easy, but he does promise to be with us along the way, no matter how difficult. Let's look at Mark 10:29 and 30. Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Following Jesus and the calling he's placed on your life comes with a sacrifice or a cost, not just for you, but a lot of times for others around you too. I was looking at the scripture earlier today, and um, of course the New Testament is in Greek, and so right here when it says, along with persecutions, that along with, I found this so interesting, along with translates to meta, which means after. So right here it says, um, you'll you'll receive a hundred times as much as this, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, after persecutions, and then in the age to come, eternal life. For us as missionaries, it means our families sacrifice holidays and birthdays and grandchildren. It means missing the birth of their newest grandbaby, in our experience. For our friends, it means that long-distance relationships... Um, And they often get neglected at times. Thankfully, through the Lord, they get picked up again right when we see each other. I was listening to a sermon by Elizabeth Elliott recently. Any fans? (laughs) And she talks about moms complaining about their strong willed children. Any moms? Yeah. She says, I don't know any mom who wouldn't say that their two year old has a strong will. But she counters that and says, they aren't strong willed, they're stubborn. There is a difference. Elizabeth Elliot says that strength of will, having a strong will is being able to say not my will but yours God. Having a strong will says, I submit to your will Lord, no matter the circumstance, no matter the hardships. Losing myself in our most recent season in Greece, our first term came in many different forms. A lot of times it had everything to do with my kids, always. Most recently, I had to lay down some dreams and expectations that I had for our youngest, Chloe's first year of life. We were actually scheduled to return to Texas last summer, summer of 2020. But you know what happened in 2020, right? (laughs) COVID. Uh, Yeah. So you know. So I gave birth to Chloe during a very strict lockdown in Greece, which is a whole other story. A good one. But interesting. Uh, just two months before our scheduled return for itineration, we were really looking forward to having family around and enjoying the first year of her life, and then also just getting to be with family for help and just learning to adjust to three kids. Weeks away from our return date, we felt God asking us to extend our term by one year. Our church would be in transition pastorally during the unknown restrictions of COVID, and we felt like God asked us to stay for the health of our congregation. We said yes, knowing that my dreams of our, first, of our baby's first year in Texas and being around family would be shattered. We were also in the thick of newborn colic, which basically just means your baby cries all day, every day, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so we were in the thick of newborn colic with little to no sleep, and my so-called village that we had in Greece was not allowed to help me due to the COVID restrictions. Like Kenan said, it was pretty strict. Um, we had to send a text message to leave the house. I was ready to come back to Texas. Um, So it wasn't an easy yes, but it was a simple yes. Simply, yes, Lord. We said yes to another year in country and no to many comforting things and exciting things in Texas. Through the rough part of our baby's first year though, Jesus was the comfort and help that we needed. And we saw him work in and through us for his kingdom in ways that we didn't expect. And the story that Kenan just mentioned about the Assemblies of God pastors in Greece, that probably would not have happened if we didn't stay the extra year in Greece. Thank you, Lord. So I want to encourage you tonight. Don't not go. Don't not share. Don't not give because of what may happen. Jesus says if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. A lot of times we feel like if we were obedient and saying yes, that we'll be all alone. But look back at the scripture that we just read. No, uh, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me in the gospel and will fail to receive a hundred times more in this present age. And in the age to come, eternal life. We aren't alone. We gain Christ. To lose ourselves means to leave many things behind. But losing ourselves also necessitates that we take on Christ. Spirituality that doesn't take up new actions or behaviors and purposes will inevitably return to self focus. True spirituality produces righteousness, changed hearts, and right action. Biblical, Jesus centered spirituality produces a new way of living. When we lose ourselves, we take on the agenda and priorities of King Jesus. We lose ourselves to his cause, his mission. Self-loss is fundamentally about a trade. We trade our ambitions and our passions for those of Jesus. We trade our agenda for his agenda. To make for himself a people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation.
0: Y'all can go ahead and come back up, Josh. Alicia. So the question tonight is, will you lose yourself in the adventure that God has called you to? Jesus tells us, if you want to be my disciple, you must give up your right to yourself. Self-abandonment is the route route to self-fulfillment. You lose yourself, you gain Christ. In order to gain Christ, you have to lose yourself. It's the route to get there. It's the opposite of what the world tells you, but Jesus says it's the necessity. There's a direct link between self sacrifice and fulfillment, meaning, you don't get fulfilled in Christ unless you're willing to lay everything down for Him. There's no shortcuts, there's no cliff notes, there's no cheat codes. There's only complete surrender to Jesus. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus didn't just tell us this, he lived it. Jesus had to lay down his will. Do you know that? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. It's the monumental struggle between his human will, his flesh, and the dread of suffering, the dread that any of us would have. And it was this struggle between his flesh and the will of his Father God. But Jesus resolved it in his heart by saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. If this cup can't be passed from me, God, then I'll drink the cup. Not my will, but your will. Can that be our prayer tonight? As we move to a close tonight, can that be our focus? There's a lot of ways we can respond, but ultimately our campus needs Jesus. Our family needs Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. Greece and Europe and countries across the world, all of us that have been representing this week, all of our places that we're being hosted by, by these other foreigners, they need Jesus They need people who have been abandoned to the self. They need people that are full of hope, full of the gospel, ready to share, ready and willing to live their life with other people. And oftentimes we'll say, I can't do that because I think it's going to be too hard. But what I've determined in my heart is although there are hard things about mission, what we usually mean when we say someplace is too hard is that it's too inconvenient. I'm speaking to myself. There's so many things when I'm overseas and I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do that because it's too hard. But what I'm really saying is, God, I don't want to do that because it's going to take me too much time. I don't want to go to another three-hour coffee with a guy that I've been meeting with once a month and he's made no progress in the faith. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to a church and pray for the same person again that's lacking faith. I don't want to do it again. And I've put up these barriers in my own heart. And we do this ourselves. Where we say, Lord, I'm not willing to do it to, because it's too hard. But what we're finding is that it's too inconvenient for us. And we want the easy way. We live in a culture where we get the microwave culture. Where it says everything happens instantaneous and spontaneously. And when the problem is, is that's not how life together works. We've got to be willing to invest deeply and live life together. For some of us tonight, it means we need to evaluate our loyalty to God. Maybe you've been following the crowd, but now Jesus is saying, what about me and you? You're looking Jesus face to face tonight, and he's saying, let's look at me and you. Nothing else, no other periphery, but me and you. Let's focus tonight. The cost is great. It means you lose your life. But what you gain in Christ is of no comparison. You gain life eternal in Him. For all of us, it means that we, can, we have to continue to share the good news now. We can't wait till something else happens. We can't wait for a trip. We can't wait for a prompting. We just need to start. We have to begin to think about the bigger picture. We have so many missionaries that often filter through here. I just want to challenge you to take their prayer cards Go over to the Kaiafa house. There's a list of missionaries there. Take a picture of it. But pray for missionaries. Pray for us. I've been on the receiving end of having missionaries here. I was a student and got to hear John Koschel, got to hear Dick Brogdon, got to hear Winky, got to hear all of these people who came over and poured into my heart. And now I'm on the other side where I'm getting to pour back into it. But Jesus says that we're responsible, and not only that, but the measure that has been given to you, that measure is, is expected of you. <laughs> so God's doing some great things here, and I want you to ask you just to take, not just tonight, but take time to pray, and to pray for specific places. Continue having conversations with missionaries. Most of us have like an email address or a phone number or some way of contacting us and just say, how can I pray for you? We're at my small groups meeting tonight and I don't have anything prepared. That, don't do that, but we're going to pray for a missionary tonight. What's some things we can pray for? Ask questions. Take a short-term trip. Or take up, some of you, God's asking you to take a bigger step. Some of you, God's placed the internship or the CMIT program on your heart and you're wrestling with it. You're saying, God, I want to do it, but I don't know if I can ask my family and friends. I just don't know. Or some of you are thinking in a bigger picture, maybe you want to become a missionary associate and give three years or a year, I mean three months or a year or three years of your life in mission. Some of you are wrestling through that. Or maybe tonight you're even thinking, I, I can't go, I, I don't know about those things, I'm not in that place, I'm a freshman, but God's been prompting you to give. And as Jason said tonight, there's not a it's not a cost thing. It's, it's not the important thing. The important thing is the willingness and obedience, and our willingness to say yes to Jesus. Invest $2 a month, $10, $25, whatever it is, into a missionary, into a missions program, and see what God actually does in your own life. Tonight, Jesus is asking you to lose yourself in him. Whatever that looks like, you know what it is. God's been placing something on your heart. You can stand with me tonight. God's been placing his finger on something in your life. And and we've been gripping onto it. We've been holding onto it for so long. And, And Jesus just wants you to let go of that tonight. To abandon it, to get rid of it, for Him, and some of you also, you're praying about this this big idea of ministry, and, and you've been you've been in a you've been in a season of, of wrestling through it. And should I take a step, or should I should I ask my parents? Should I get to that next? Should I do the internship? Whatever that looks like. And, and I think what it would be great is if we could just spend a few minutes here as we close with a song and we could pray and we could spend some time in prayer and we could we could ask god to help us to not hold onto those things any longer but to give them to him let's pray tonight jesus we need you lord we thank you jesus for all that you've done we thank you god for who you are for how good you are to us jesus and we thank you jesus that you're challenging our hearts god help us lord with those things we've gripped onto for too long Help us, Jesus, with those things that we're not willing to give up, with the inconveniences of life, Jesus. Help us to lay those things at your feet, that we can lose ourselves in you that so that we can find you, God. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.